Welcome to the All In Gospel Bible Study. Each week, we move chapter by chapter through the Bible towards a comprehensive understanding of what the Bible teaches. All In Gospel is recorded live in White Bear Lake, Minnesota, featuring Dr. Sean Dickers. You can support this broadcast by subscribing or donating at anchor.fm slash allingospel or visit the allingospel.com website. There's a little doobie thingy. Okay, we're in Leviticus 13. If you turn your Bibles there or your digital devices, we are going to be studying leprosy, which is totally appropriate for what's going on in the country right now. Our pastor this morning tried to like take First John and like connect it with the. It was a big stretch, wasn't it? And uh, and uh, we don't have to do that at all because we're actually talking about quarantining and diseases, and the first time in history when a people and an ancient people have medical practices. And this is like, you know, we've done a lot of firsts when we went through the book of Genesis, but in Leviticus, we're getting like, this is the first like codified medical practice that we see in history. It's brilliant, and it's not based on science at all. It's based on just listening to what God says. And it happens to be really good science. So um, for context in Leviticus, Leviticus is a book for the Levites. It's a book of worship. If you want to come into a relationship with God, here's five sacrifices. And you can mix and match those for different things. But there's five sacrifices that bring you into a relationship and a covenantal relationship with God. Then in Leviticus, it was, here's how we're going to consecrate our priesthood. Or those people that are going to lead and guide other people, here's how we consecrate those people. Right? Then God says, for those people that are going to lead and guide people, we want you to coach them in how to eat. And how to eat means kosher. And essentially... These rules for eating train the, the Hebrew people to start thinking about clean and unclean and doing it all the time. And then it goes right into this reminder that with every birth, all humans are born unclean and there needs to be sacrifices for those, for those new babies, right? Because you brought a new sinner into the world. Now, as we go into this, it seems like an odd connection of topics, but when you see kind of, when you step back, you realize this is like a code for life and he really is showing the Hebrew people how to live. After you start thinking about those foods, after you remember that all humans are sinners, then he gets into this thing about what do you do with this sickness or this sin that covers your body and creeps all over everything. And leprosy is kind of going to be a broad term because we're going to see he's also referring to like house mold when we get to chapter 14. Leprosy is this sick growth of sickness that comes over things. And of course, I'll get into some of the science of leprosy and how it works and what the disease is. So it's a nasty thing. And throughout the rest of the Bible, I mean, we don't have to go that far. You get to the book of Numbers, and leprosy is associated with sin. And it's always this image for sin. So in the book of Leviticus, you've got this, here's how to come into relationship with God. Here's how you consecrate and set people aside for holiness. Here's how you walk a life where you're constantly thinking clean or unclean. Here's how you recognize that everybody's unclean at some level. We all start that way. We're born that way. And then you come right into this idea of, but what do you do with people where they're just infected with sin? And how does God see that? How does God look at it? So um, it's fitting that we get an, a lesson on how to handle sickness today. And that's what we're doing. So verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, a scab, or a bright spot, 
and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest. And Aaron's thinking, great, like that's not the job you want. So this priesthood, not only do they get to kind of be in front for these religious ceremonies, they're also the medical practitioners, and they're really good bakers and barbecuers. So the priesthood in the Hebrew community does a lot of different things. Viewing, um, let me say this about leprosy before we keep going too. Leprosy, interestingly, is going to be one of those things that you are stricken with as we go forward. So when someone has a leprous sore as we go forward, people will be stricken with leprosy when we see that throughout the Bible. And I'll give some references to that. The Synoptic Gospels, one of the very first things that God does or Jesus does in all three Synoptic Gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in those three Gospels, one of the first things you're going to see when it comes to Jesus' miracles is he cleanses a leper. And the reason for that is because leprosy is uncurable. And we only see a couple instances of it even happening in the Old Testament, and most of them are things where King Uzziah dies of leprosy, right? And no matter who you are, no matter what station in life you are, God can you can be stricken with leprosy and you get killed by it. There's an exception to that rule, and I'll talk about that in a little bit. But right after the healing, Jesus goes on to forgive sin. So that connection between sin and leprosy gets going there. So this is the first place in the Bible where we see this getting attention, and it and it is the the... An odd thing to have here in Leviticus because throughout history, even today, leprosy is not curable. We have medicines today that can take the effects of leprosy away, but when you get leprosy, you get it till the day you die. And that's kind of true even today. So it's one of the only diseases that we have not found a cure for, even in, with today's massive medical sciences. These verses, the beginning verses, have three different symptoms for various skin issues. Basically, if there's anything wrong with your skin and it's not acne, you get to go to the priest and see what's going on with your skin, right? The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body. And, and this gets nasty and gross. I'm sorry about that. And if the hair on the sore has turned white, the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of the body. It's a leprous sore. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean. Deeper than the skin is an odd thing. They have to then poke around at this sore and like move the skin and see where the disease gets. And this is where we get the phrase skin deep, right? So if it's skin deep, then it's this. And if it's not skin deep, then it's this other kind of thing. So how do you identify it? Uh, leprosy is going to be defined by very strict criteria, and that's this whole chapter. How do you identify when there's something that's corrupting your flesh, right? And it's the same way with sin. Sin throughout the Bible is carefully and distinctly defined. We thankfully don't have to guess if we have sin in our life, and we don't have to guess if we have leprosy. And the detail God gives to this is, is impressive. So um, that deeper than the skin piece in the Hebrew uh, is what can't be sought out. That deepness is a mysteriousness in Psalm 64, 7, and it's deep and unsearchable. So you, as much as you poke around on the wound, you can't get to the bottom of the wound which is disgusting. And the priests had this job. They had to do this kind of thing. Remember that if they're doing this kind of thing, the priests become unclean just by touching it. So unclean, again, is not at this point necessarily the sin. It just means you can't participate in other stuff with the, with the priest. You get set aside if you're unclean. Um, you get quarantined, essentially, is the word we use today. Um, so you have this uh, uncleanness, this polluted, defiled sense and it's not just physically, but we'll see soon that it becomes physical. Verse 4, 
but if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin, and its hair is not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore for seven days. So if you have the measles, the pox, a bad case of acne, a rash, all that sort of thing appears to be just the skin, you set them aside for seven days and you see if it gets better or it gets worse. You quarantine them, right? So isolation then is to protect the flock. It's interesting when they start doing these isolation or quarantine practices, how much this is going to save he the, Jewish, the Jewish nation the Hebrews, from disease throughout history. Um, <laughs> I got all these things. Uh, there's less than 200,000 people that have leprosy today on the planet. So it's not considered one of the major diseases of the world anymore. Um, and it's not particularly contagious. You have to kind of earn your leprosy, and, and it affects you your whole life. Um, you can get it from another person with leprosy, however, but you kind of have to be in really close contact or touch an open leprous wound and then, like, put it in your mouth or something. I mean, you have to really almost intentionally get leprosy from somebody else. Thanks, Shadow. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and indeed, if the sore appears to be as it was, and the sore has not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. So it's not getting better, but it hasn't spread. You get another seven days. That's a two-week quarantine, which we still see today in modern history. If you want to quarantine a nation, you say, why don't you all take two weeks off? And that tradition starts in Leviticus 13. It's so appropriate. <laughs> and then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day. And indeed, if the sore has faded and the sore has not spread on the skin, because most bodies will heal after seven days right? And the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. It's only a scab. And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. You wash your hands, including your clothes and everything you've touched. So the priest needs to kind of do that. <clears throat> so we see a guide for medical assessment here. This is interesting because there's no witchcraft. There's no soothsaying. There's no guessing. They're not tossing bones in a bucket or throwing tea leaves or anything like that. They do a diagnosis, and he's asking these priests to make a careful inspection with very set criteria about growth or non-growth, skin deep or not skin deep, white hairs or not white hairs. Some of us have white hairs anyways, um, but that's not the kind of thing we're talking about here. Verse 7, but if the scab should spread all over the skin after he's been seen by the priest for his cleansing, then he shall be seen by the priest again. And if the priest sees that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is leprosy. So we have a way to diagnose this. When you get leprosy, you get excluded from the camp. And later you'll get excluded from the city. So outside a lot of ancient world cities, especially in Israel, they would have leper colonies or groups of people that would live together outside the city um, because they can't live inside the city. Those leper colonies still exist today in parts of the world. And in the United States, we still have an island in Hawaii that's been set aside for leprosy patients. Um, and it's been there for 150 years. For anybody who gets leprosy, you go, you go to Hawaii and you stay outside in this city, in this camp. So we still do this. As of 2015, there were still six leprous people living in Hawaii in this camp, uh, in the Molaki uh, place. It'd be interesting for a Hawaii 5.0 episode to, did they do something with the leper colony? Um, in the TV show, which is fiction. Um, I'm trying to actually get facts here. And then the other one was shut down in 2015, just because in the United States, we've virtually eliminated leprosy. Um, and that was in Louisiana. So you could go to Louisiana and live in a leper colony there too. 
when a leprous sore is on a person, verse 9, so we've now identified that there's leprosy here. Then he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the swelling on the skin is white, and it's turned the hair white, and there's a spot of raw flesh in the swelling, putting the priest in direct contact with, I mean, if you're going to get leprosy, this is how you get it. So these priests really had to have faith that in doing this medical work, they were going to stay healthy, right? That God would protect them. I think of a lot of nurses and doctors today that deal with the people we're terrified of. And they actually, I mean, that's completely heroic that they're stepping into those places and trying to reduce disease in our, in our country. And the priest did the same thing. Verse 11, it's an old leprosy on the skin of his body. The priest shall pronounce him unclean and shall not isolate him for he is unclean. So we have this physical examination thing. Leprosy first appears as little whites, like little red dots on your skin. And anybody with any acne would be terrified by this. But I think the priest got pretty good at identifying acne, which is only skin deep, to this kind of red sore that kind of pops up. You can have those sores can kind of come and go. You can go years where your leprous symptoms aren't seen by anybody. They're just something private to you that only you know about. So when people first see these things and have to go into a priest, it, it to really kind of care for that or deal with it, you can keep leprosy to yourself for a very long time and nobody will know it. But like sin, it'll get worse. The next step in leprosy, because it's time we learn about leprosy, those little red spots turn white, just like acne, only instead of having pus inside, they get like a scale on them, right? And then they, the scales uh, start to cover more and more territory of the skin. And what's going on is your nervous system is dying. So your nerves stop working and you touch things and you don't feel them. So you become desensitized with leprosy. All those things that used to like make a shock value don't shock your skin anymore. So the next thing to fall off will be your hair and your nails will start to go as the leprosy goes out. But wait till verse 40, Paul. We, we're covered. And then your joints start to rot. So the cartilage between your bones and those, because the nervous system isn't working anymore, those things start to rot out. And with the scaliness and the skin dying, parts of your body just fall off, right? Thus the song that Stephanie shared with us so well. Okay? It gets worse. Once the joints rot, the next thing to go are facial features. So your lips start to rot and fall off. Your nose actually falls off. And in ex extended stages, then your eyes will actually dry up and fall out. Right? This is a horrible disease that starts private, but it gets very public after a time. Right? People start to notice when you have leprosy and you're walking around with no nose. It starts small and innocuous. It never is painful. So the thing with leprosy, because your nerves are dead, that finger falled off. You're you know, trying to wave at somebody and something fell off. You don't even feel it because you're so deadened to that pain that it doesn't even... You're dying while you're still alive and it's painless, just like sin, right? It corrupts and fills your life and things start to fall apart and you don't even realize it's happening because it's so painless. So it dulls the nerves, it dulls the, sec the, the senses, and if you leave it unchecked, it rots you away while you're still alive. It's a horrible, disgusting disease that's plagued the planet for a long time. Most of those cases that are still here today are in countries where there's, there's issues. We don't really know what causes it. We know it's a bacteria that gets in your skin and starts to grow. But we don't really know where it comes from or why it's been kind of wiped out in the U.S., but in India there's plenty of it. Right? And if you want one of the most disgusting internet searches ever, do leprosy images. 
and you'll start to see everything I just described. But once you get those images in your head, you can't get them out, <laughs> right? So I'll just warn you ahead of time. Now that you know that, there's this long incubation, and then bam, it destroys you, right? Verse 12, if leprosy breaks out all over the skin and leprosy covers all the skin of the one who has the sore from his head to his foot, wherever the priest looks, which means the priest has to look, then the priest shall consider and indeed the leprosy's covered all his body and he shall pronounce him uh, and he shall pronounce him clean who has the sore. So if it all goes away, then you can be pronounced clean. But this is an uncurable disease. So you had to be a little Levite growing up and then your priests make you study this chapter and you're thinking to yourself, just like some of us did in math class, why do I have to learn this when there's a calculator? And the little Levite priest would be like, why do I have to learn this when it's an incurable disease? There will never be an occasion where I have to pronounce somebody clean, ever, right? There's another piece here that this inspection after someone's been isolated implies that priests need to leave their temple, their image of heaven on earth, they have to leave it and go out to the leper colony to make these inspections. So lepers can't come into the city. The priest, the representative of God, has to go out to the person and meet them where they're at. Even in their sickness, they get met by the priest to be declared clean. These are big images. I'll come back to them. But when the raw flesh appears on him, he shall be unclean. So if your body parts are falling off, you're going to be unclean. And the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him to be unclean. The raw flesh is unclean. It is leprosy. Or if the raw flesh changes and turns white again, he shall come to the priest and the priest shall examine him. And indeed, the sore is turned white. Then the priest shall announce him clean who has the sore and he is clean. So there's cases where perhaps somebody has cancer and they have like skin cancer and they have these kinds of sores that are turning white and that sort of thing. It's a very particular diagnosis for leprosy because other things aren't unclean. You can have skin sores and you can have parts of your skin that turn colors and that's not necessarily unclean. The priest has to make a diagnosis. The, there's a determination here that implies both growth and contagiousness. It has to be growing. It has to be contagious, the open skin, and that's to protect the flock, the people, or the congregation. Um, Numbers 5.2 expands on the practice of quarantine. Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. So there are more than just leprosy that gets you kicked out of the camp. But here in Leviticus, we're just dealing with leprosy, right? Which is seems like God's trying to say something about leprosy. I'm going to read a huge section here because it is what it is. If the body develops a boil on the skin and it's healed, and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a bright red spot, reddish white, then it shall be known to the priest. And if the priest sees it, and indeed it appears deeper than the skin and its hair is turned white, the priest shall pronounce him unclean. If it is a leprous sore which is broken out of the boil, but if the priest examines it and indeed there are no white hairs in it, then it is not deeper than the skin, but it is faded. Then the priest shall isolate him for seven days, and if it should at all spread over the skin, the priest shall pronounce him unclean if it's a leprous sore. But if the bright spot stays in one place, like a burn, and it is not spread, or just a boil, and it is not spread, it is the scar of a boil, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Or... If the body receives a burn on his skin by fire and the raw flesh of the burn becomes a bright spot, reddish, white, or white, then the priest shall examine it. And indeed, if the hair of the, is the bright spot has turned white and it appears deeper than the skin, 
it is leprosy broken out of the burn, and therefore the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It's a leprous sore. Exposed skin can contract leprosy, and you start to see the job of the priest is really getting into the nitty-gritty. You imagine there's this line of people at the temple saying, I need you to look at this wound, right? Like a, like a hospital or a medical office. And there's going to be some of the Levites that are assigned to looking at all the different wounds and defining who has leprosy and who doesn't. I think this has got to be the worst job of the priesthood. Um, but who knows? I don't know how they would have sized that up. But if the priest examines it, and indeed there are no white hairs on the bright spot, and it's not deeper than the skin, but it's faded, then the priest shall isolate him seven days. The priest shall examine him on the seventh day, and if it's spread all over the skin, then the priest pronounce him unclean. It's a leprous sore. But if the bright spot stays in one place and it is not spread in the skin and it is faded, it is a swelling from the burn. The priest shall pronounce him clean, for it is the scar from the burn. So you see this kind of idea of this hospital, this nasty place where there's lots of people. At this point in history, we figure there's about 2 million Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai. Out of 2 million people, you're going to have a line of people with various sores and wounds. All of them are required to show it to the priest. And the priest is like, this is my lucky day, right? Um, so in 26, it says to isolate them, verse 26, and that's essentially getting set aside. It doesn't necessarily mean you're kicked out of the camp, but it does mean you're by yourself or you need to go home and be on your own. You're quarantined. From God's perspective, this is what all of humanity looks like. We all have this, spiritually speaking, we're covered in sin. And we've got these things that I think God has to do this kind of judgment too. You know, is it growing or is it staying still or is it going away? Is it being purged? So when God looks at humanity who is born this way, and we know that from the last chapter, God sees this kind of growth sin all over people. And that's not the kind of thing we necessarily like to think about, and it doesn't really make its way into Hillsong music, though a leprosy song I think would be appropriate. Isaiah then points out or uses this image to talk about Israel when they're falling into sin as a nation. And he's saying, as a whole nation, you're all stricken with this, right? You're all infected with this idea. When a nation starts to fall away from God, it's everywhere. And this idea of sin being something that's not just hidden in private, but now it's out in the public for everyone to see, becomes something that defines a nation that's falling away from God. I'm going to keep reading because... Oh, and here's another thought. These are huge chapters. Have you seen how big these chapters are? It matters to God that his priests know something about leprosy, a kind of rare disease that's going to infect people here and there throughout the Bible. But this seems to be as big or as bigger a deal than what they eat. Yet the rabbinic tradition focuses more on what they eat versus whether or not they're clean or unclean when it comes to these kinds of things. Anyways, verse 29. If a man or woman has a head, has a sore in the head or the beard, I love this verse because it implies that some women have beards, right? Anyways, just a thought. If a man or woman has a sore on the head or the beard, then the priest, and you wonder what these ancient Jews looked like. <laughs> then the priest shall examine the sore, and indeed, if it appears deeper than the skin, and there is in it thin yellow hair, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It's a scaly leprosy of the head or the beard. This is disgusting. But if the priest examines the scaly sore, and indeed it does not appear deeper than the skin, again, examination combined with deeper than the skin means they got to poke it and push it and move it around and then go wash their hands. And if there's no black hair in it, then the priest shall isolate the one 
the scale, the one who has the scale seven days. On the seventh day, the priest will examine the sore. Indeed, if the scale is not spread and there's no yellow in it, then the scale does not appear deeper than the skin. He shall shave himself, but the scale he shall not shave. And the priest shall isolate. So the shaving practice would, would show the priest after seven days if the rash has grown or not. Because if you're shaving one part and not another, it implies that you have a very hairy part of the body, but you're going to easily be able to see what if there's growth or if there's not growth. So it's kind of a brilliant practice. The priest shall isolate the one who has the scale another seven days. Verse 34. On the seventh day, the priest shall examine the scale, and if indeed the scale is not spread over the skin and does not appear deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. Ta-da! And he shall wash his clothes and be clean. To be clean implies you take a bath. But if the scale, by the way, the taking of the bath would help with a lot of rashes and other sorts of things that would fall under these things where you're having to sit aside for a little while. But, the, but if the scale should at all spread over the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the scale is spread over the skin, the priest shall need not seek for yellow hair. He is unclean. If it's spreading, stay away from people. But, verse 37, if the scale appears to be at a standstill and there is black hair growing up in it, I know, it's gross. The scale has healed. <laughs> Good, you got black hairs again. That's great. He is clean, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. Wow. So seven days allows for the immune system to work. Most diseases, even the flu, you're, you're do, through it in two, three days. So things like the measles, the chicken pox, all sorts of things that would have things that appear on the skin, the seven-day quarantine actually keeps you from infecting other people, and it gives the priest a chance to see if this is permanent or not. Leprosy is permanent. Cancer is permanent. Some rashes can kind of be a lifetime things like shingles and whatnot. So this really is more than leprosy. This is like medical practice and how you decide if somebody is clean or unclean. I'm just breaking up the long body of text. We'll get more into it. Verse 38. If a man or woman has bright spots on the skin of the body, specifically white bright spots, then the priest shall look and indeed if the bright spots on the skin of the body are dull white, it is a white spot that grows on the skin. He's clean. So here's another case. Careful examination needed. As for the man who has hair fallen from his head, he is bald, but he is clean. In other words, losing your hair is not a sin. It's normal. So I love that, that they had to put this in the Bible, and it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. When people ask me what my favorite verse is, I say Leviticus 14.40. And people, oh, wow, he has a Levitian, whatever. But if they actually go look it up, they can get a chuckle out of it. A bald head is a clean head, it might read in your translation. So those who lose their hair should be awfully proud of that. Because we need no deep inspection. Priests don't have to dig through all the hair on our head to find things. Bald head is a clean head. It's the best verse ever. <laughs> we'll keep going, though. Verse 41. He whose hair has fallen from his forehead, he is bald on the forehead, but he is clean. This would be those people that recede, other people bald in the back, and it comes forward. If there is on the bald head or a bald forehead a reddish-white sore, it is, it is leprosy breaking out on the bald head or on his bald forehead, then the priest shall examine it. And indeed, if this, I think of Mikhail Gorbachev. I'm probably dating myself. But he was a world leader at a big red like liver spot you know, kind of thing on his forehead. 
the priest would say, Mr. McHale, come in. Let's take a look at this. He would poke around at it. He'd go woot and move the skin and poke it around. He'd see if that was under the skin or if it was on the skin, right? So it's something growing under the skin. Because if it's under the skin, you can just move the skin over it. But if it's on the skin, the, the thing, Mikhail's little birthmark would move with him. Priest examines it. And indeed, if the swelling is of the sore is reddish white on his bald head or on his bald forehead, as the appearance of leprosy on the skin of the body, he's a leprous man, he is unclean. The priest shall surely pronounce him unclean. His sore is on his head. Now the leper, verse 45, on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean, and he shall be unclean all the days. He has the sore, he shall be unclean. He is unclean, and he shall dwell alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the clan. Once you determine somebody is leprous, Right? You've done all these tests, all these things, white hair, yellow hair, black hair, under the skin, above the skin. Is there pus coming out of the wound? Is there not? All these gross, disgusting things. Once you discover that there's a prevalent leprosy in this person, they get to be outside the camp. They get to lose fellowship with the congregation. It's a tragic moment, and it's not fun. It would be horrible because leper colonies don't have a great economy. Right? You might have family who loves you and they come bring stuff out to the leper colony, but they got to leave it on the ground and then walk away so that you can come up and pick it up. Right? They keep more than a six foot distance. The torn clothes and the hair is signs of mourning. These are things that in the ancient world would have shown that you're essentially dead even though you're still alive. Your family might treat you as though you're dead if you're declared to have leprosy. You no longer have the access to the temple. You no longer get to celebrate. You get to smell the barbecue from the camp as the breeze wafts it a mile away to your, your little leper colony. You don't get to participate in it. Sin, likewise, separates people from the people of God. Know this about leprosy, too. Anybody gets leprosy. It's not just for poor people, and it's not just for sinners or anything like that. In the Bible, we have a specific story with King Uzziah who gets leprosy and dies of leprosy. Even the king of Israel can get leprosy and die of it. Anybody can get leprosy. In rabbinic tradition, they advance this separation into what I would call cruelty. It's one thing to say you have to live outside the city. That's horrible, right? It's another thing to throw stones at lepers, which rabbinic tradition started to do this. And by the time of Jesus, lepers were not just isolated, they were treated horribly. They were denied any verbal communication because talking to a leper in rabbinic tradition became unclean. And there's nothing in Leviticus 13 that says you can't talk to lepers. You can't go out and visit them, you know. You have to keep your distance. And there's nothing here that says throw stones at them and be mean to them and be horrible to them. But that's where the tradition had taken things by the time of Jesus. Which is why if you want to flip forward to Matthew chapter 8, or flip, yeah, way forward. Jesus, I think this is so beautiful because you see what's going on here in Leviticus and then you see how Jesus treated this situation in the face of that rabbinic cruelty that had emerged out of this, this kind of separation of the leprous. So Matthew chapter 8. And again, I, I kind of said we'd get to this, and, and I'll read from Luke here too. Jesus treated lepers totally different. Look at how he treats them. When he was come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, there came a leper. So Jesus is outside the city, 
and walking around. There came a leper and worshiped him, saying, Lord, if you will, that you can make me clean. So that's a declaration of the leper saying, I believe you're God. Because nobody can make a leprous person clean. And it hasn't happened in the history of the world up to this point, right? The leprous person says, I think if you want to, you could make me clean. Jesus puts forth his hand and touched him. There's nothing in Leviticus 13 that says you can't touch a leper. In fact, touching a leper won't necessarily even make you contagious to leprosy. There's nothing that says you can't touch him. You can still give a leper a hug. You just don't want to squeeze too hard, right? There's nothing that says that. And Jesus is knowing the word and not knowing all these rabbinic traditions. I hit Grant's funny bone on that one. And he touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And that would be a special effects moment in a movie. Like, how do you immediately cleanse leprosy? Did the nose grow back? Did the ear come back on? The scales just fall off? Jesus says a word, and this sickness that's incurable falls off this guy. It's beautiful. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go thy way and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony to them. I want you to go to the priests and show them that you're a guy that got clean from leprosy because that doesn't happen. So all those little Levitic priests that kind of joked about this, suddenly they're going back to, this, this, okay, what do we do with this guy? He's been cleaned of leprosy, and they got to go back and reread all this, and then they got to inspect him and look from head to toe to see if he's clean and inspect this guy. Lo, this is when all the Pharisees and Sadducees and the priesthood come out to see who this Jesus guy is because that's what gets them out of the temple. They come out of the temple to come see Jesus because the incurable disease just got cured, right? Luke 17. I'm rereading some of these because we all know Jesus healed the lepers, right? And we just kind of know that from the New Testament. But to know the process the priest had to go through when Jesus did this, like this would have been days of them having to confirm, yes, he's been cured. Luke 17, I'm going to start in verse 12. And as Jesus entered a certain village, there met him ten men that were lepers, which stood afar off, because they're keeping their distance because of the rabbinic tradition, and they're probably this little leper colony outside the city. They lifted their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them when he saw that he was healed, turned back with a loud voice and he glorified God and fell down on his face, now that he has one, at his feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. It's just amazing. So this disease that the priests couldn't heal, nobody's healed. King Uzziah died of that disease, right? Miriam gets it, but then it's gone again, so she didn't really have to go into the priests for it. The other one to get healed of leprosy is Naaman. Remember Elisha heals Naaman? Elijah, Elisha. I mix those two up all the time. He gets healed of it, but he's a Gentile, not a Jew. He never has to go in and do this thing. So literally, the priests have never done this cleansing ritual for leprosy people until Jesus. It's a huge like flag spotlight to say, you'll know the Messiah's arrived because lepers get healed. That's it. Also, verse 47, back in our Leviticus chapter, 
apparently clothes can get leprosy. So I'm thinking the use of the word leprosy here includes mold. They didn't have washing machines. They washed maybe when they had to, kind of like shadow. <coughs> Excuse me. Also, if a garment has a leprous plague in it, whether it's a wool garment or a linen garment, whether it's in the warp or the woof of the linen or the wool, <laughs> say that three times fast, whether in the leather or in anything made of leather. So prior to more advanced chemical treatments of clothing and leather, clothes, when you wear them every day, get funky. They get even really funky if you're doing work in them in the hot Mediterranean Middle Eastern sun. And over a few months or years, that leather starts to get growths and little mushrooms growing off of it and things like that. But it's really expensive to get clothing. You know that multicolored coat that Joseph got to wear? He would have wore it every single day. And it would have eventually smelled like Joseph. And at some point, when you hear, see warp or woof, that means when you weave something, that's either the sideways threads or the up and down threads, the warp or the woof. It has nothing to do with barking dogs. Verse 49, and if the plague is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the leather, <clears throat> whether in the warp or in the woof, or in anything made of leather, it's a leprous plague and it shall be shown to the priest. Again, a horrible priest job. Hey, let me show you my coat that's gotten this red thing growing in it. Then the priest shall examine the plague and isolate the plague for seven days. Okay, I'm going to take your... There's some place at the temple where they're keeping a room full of nasty clothing to see if it grows or if it doesn't, right? <clears throat> Maybe it's outside the temple. It doesn't say. Verse 51, And he shall examine the plague on the seventh day, and if the plague has spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof, or in the leather or anything made of leather, the plague is an active leprosy. It's unclean. <clears throat> You're going to have to throw away your clothing. But if you don't have to throw away the clothing, you don't want to do that. He shall therefore burn the garment, which is, yeah, your coat is so nasty, we're going to burn it. <laughs> We still do this today. When there's a disease and you're trying to clean out an area, there's been a plague, you know, a ship comes into port and everybody's dead, you burn all the clothing. You get rid of it, right? If it's infected, you get rid of it. Whether in the warp or in the woof, in the wool or the linen, anything of leather, for it's an act of leprosy, it shall be burned in the fire. They have to make judgment and define the garment. I think it's interesting they take this seven days, and that's it shows you how valuable garments were. You didn't just throw out an old nasty shirt. We do that today, because we can buy a new one at the store. Back then, you didn't just dump your clothing unless you knew you had to. What amazes me is if it doesn't grow after seven days, that implies the person would get it back and they could keep wearing it, right? Shows you again how valuable clothing was. <clears throat> so apparently leprosy would include molds and funguses here things that infect and grow over time. This also would create a nation of people. Think of the effect of this rule. If when my clothing gets funky, the priest might burn it, the natural thought of a normal human being is to not let your clothes get funky. Wash your clothes. So for the first time in human history, we got an ancient people that starts to wash their clothing so that it lasts longer and it doesn't get funky and they don't have to burn it. Right? So you got the nomadic barbarians up in the hills and they're wearing their leathers and they just wear them until they're nasty, which then would infect them. 
And then you got these Hebrews and they start washing their clothes because they don't want the priest to burn them. I think that's amazing. The consequences would be a nation of people who stay clean, right? And the clothing needs to stay clean too. Verse 53, but if the priest examines it and indeed the plague is not spread in the garment, either in the warp or the woof or in anything made of leather, then the priest shall command that they wash it in this thing in which is the plague and he shall isolate it another seven days. That means the first seven days it's not washed. This is nasty. Then the priest, imagine what that room smelled like. I mean, we've walked into some nasty places and smell nasty things. Imagine being a priest where it's your job to go and check on that every day. I imagine the young Levites had to do this job. <laughs> then the priest shall examine the plague after it's been washed. And indeed, if the plague has not changed its color, though the plague is not spread, it's unclean. You shall burn it in the fire. If it continues eating away the damage outside or inside, if the priest examines it, verse 56, <clears throat> and indeed the plague has faded after washing it, then he shall tear it out of the garment, whether the warp or in the woof or out of the leather. But if it appears again in the garment, either in the warp or the woof or anything made of leather, leather, it's a spreading plague and you burn it with fire, that which is in the plague. And if you wash the garment, either the warp or the woof or whatever is made of leather, then the plague has disappeared from it then it shall be washed a second time, it shall be made clean. Normally when we see repetition in the Bible, I think it's because it made it easy to memorize for those young Levites. Here, maybe it's for memorization, but you think it's, you don't get a sense that they would memorize this passage for an incurable thing, right? The repetition is maybe there because God wants to put the attention onto this thing, right? There's no, it's a clear law. It's not something that's subjective. It's an objective law. Verse 56, this is the law of the leprous plague in a garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or the woof or in anything made of leather, to pronounce it clean or to pronounce it unclean. It's not subjective. It's a law. <clears throat> Whenever in Leviticus we see a law, we know that means that as long as there's a temple and as long as there's a priesthood, there's going to be a law that gets carried out by these Levitical priests. The idea here overall, stepping out of the details of all this, is that this is going to massively change their culture. They will no longer be Egyptians when they start washing their clothes, when they start going into the priest every, th every time there's a growth, when they isolate the disease and let it, instead of letting it run rampant through their people. Right? In Mark and I read from Matthew and, and Luke already. In Mark, he brings up the healing of the leper in chapter one, right off the bat. There are only two things that come before the leper story in Mark's gospel. The first one is Jesus goes to John the Baptist and the heavens are opened. That's significant. The second thing is that he casts out an unclean spirit and he's able to tell demons to leave, which there were priests and prophets that could do that too. And in verse 32 of verse 34 of Mark chapter 1, it says, He healed many that were sick of diverse diseases, cast out many devils, and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him. And that for Mark was to say he was significant. He was at least a powerful prophet, right? That convinced a lot of things. And then in verse 40, it says, Now a leper came up to him. So Jesus healed everything. Anything could walk up, but now a leper came up to him. Somebody with leprosy was special. And when Mark wrote his gospel, now a leper means, okay, well, anybody can just spiritually heal things. That can happen. But a leper came up to Jesus. And you know what happened? 
Mark tells the story very directly because only God can cure leprosy throughout the whole Old Testament. Miriam's cured because God gives her leprosy and God takes the leprosy away. People are stricken with leprosy throughout the Old Testament by God, and he's given credit for leprosy, unlike any other disease. So Mark says, now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him, saying to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I'm willing, be clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. He was strictly warned and sent away at once. Same stories from the other gospel, right? And he said to him that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the matter. So Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in the deserted places and they came to him from every direction. According to Mark, the healing of the leper is what got everybody to pay attention to Jesus. It was just some freaks eating locusts with John the Baptist for the, the first thing. Healing people got him a small little following, but healing a leper got everybody's attention, right? Because only God cures leprosy. And that becomes so baked into the Hebrew people that when Jesus does that, bam, people are turned to him. And when Mark wrote his gospel after the resurrection, after it's all happened, he thinks that's the primary point to make in chapter one. Jesus healed the leper. We don't really evangelize that way anymore. I don't meet somebody and say, hey, are you a follower of Christ? No, not really. Do you know he healed a leper? They would just look at me like I'm nuts and go, well, what difference is that? Like, who cares? Because we're Gentiles. But in Hebrew tradition, if I said, do you know he healed a leper? That basically says he's God, that he can do that. This is the greatest testimony Mark can think of to introduce his gospel. All right. If you found this teaching helpful, insightful, you can support this podcast by sharing it with a friend. Screenshot it, tag it, post it on your social media.